0: Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Dial Effer Flanger, the uh, comic, pop, pop culture, whatever it is, chat show. Um, and today we're doing an episode which has been prompted by my lawyers um, because we wanted to investigate a concept of see whether I had the rights to it or not. But, uh, you know, to do this, I'm talking to Ciscoid from up north. Uh, in the other hemisphere, and uh, he is uh, here to talk about a dial F for hero. No, dial H for hero. Let's get Yeah, that right.
1: I, you you have the rights to dial F. That's ah, fine. okay. <laughs> so you H. don't
0: think I can do anything about
1: dial H? I, I think you you need to stick with the F. Oh, okay. Uh that's that's your letter. That's your grade. That's. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so uh, the DC concept from the, I believe it's from the sixties. Is that correct?
1: Uh, yeah, it actually starts in 1966. I'm a big fan of Dial H for Hero and its many incarnations, or, or better incarnations than others. But you know, it's uh, uh, it's something that really captured my imagination as a kid, and so I followed it. And uh, on my own personal space, I've um, I've written articles about every single dialed hero, every single story that has a dial in it, even in a cameo capacity. Um, except for maybe like the last year like because there is a dial H character in um, Titan's Academy. Ugh. I've not read through all of that but uh, but I will even though it's a very minor point within those comics. Um, you know I, dial H is just one of my things, one of my specialties, I guess. and uh, it, it does start in 1966. Uh, Robbie Reed was the first. Uh, h dial character uh in house of mystery from 19 from uh number 156 through to 173 so from 66 to 68 before that comic became a horror book uh and as you might expect it was very silly (laughs) silver age stuff with contrived plots and info dump endings and dave wood wrote the strip and um uh I guess he co-created all the hero identities with the artists, uh, mostly Jim Mooney back then. So uh, the idea was that Robbie found this dial, this alien dial that had, um, you know, he had to decipher the script uh, to figure out how it worked. And if he dialed the letters that kind of correspond in our language to H-E-R-O, he could turn himself into a superhero for an hour. And, And so within you know within a story normally he would turn into a hero he would fight this bogus villain just as bogus and you know there's no there's no real continuity in the sense that like those characters don't normally recur in the DC universe later except for Robbie himself mm. or maybe his girlfriend you know just like continuing characters but it was i think it showed the problem with this concept is that Um, And and most versions are hounded or haunted by it because, you know, it's interesting how some writers get around it. The problem is you will never want to create a character that could be something that could be a continuing feature because you're only going to have it for an hour or like this one comic strip and that's it. So most creators wouldn't want to throw away their best ideas on, you know, on a hero for, for this. So in the case of uh, Dave Wood I think his tack was to make it like really silly concepts clownish kind of characters that you would not expect then to have a a life uh, outside of um, outside of that one strip
0: right so it actually strikes me it's it's fairly similar um structurally to the way uh, the doom troll is i mean one of the things that appealed to me and mike when we did our doom troll podcast was there were so many different eras, eras uh, with different tones, and that allowed you to, you know, jump in and out and pick something different from episode to episode. Um, so, looking at the history of the Hero Dial, it's had it's had different tones in its storytelling and different approaches, and of course, in the modern day, there's people just want to explain where everything comes from you can't have a, a mysterious hero <laughs> dial without someone investigating you know its origins etc because uh,
1: i think the last know, two series did that and came yeah, up with different answers
0: the, <laughs> yeah it's the modern age and you've got to take the fun out of things uh, but also you yeah. need to you know there's a desire to make things you know matter and make them more um I know, explored, and you know, not have so much just because, which uh, it, it was fine in the Silver Age. I mean, the, the Silver Age is filled with just because stuff. Um, so, how many iterations have there been over the years?
1: Um, let's see. Well, that was that, that the original one, uh, and then I think the the best one, well, not the best one, the one that I fell in love with, uh, the one when I was a kid reading comics, uh, the Chris and Vicky strip. So, like, this this time we had, like, two teenagers in Fairfax. I'm going to say Fairfax, Maine, because that's more or less where the town is supposed to be. But, you know, D.C. cities, you'd never really know. Uh, so, uh, Chris and Vicky are teenagers. They find these simplified dials, because they're just H-E-R-O. Like, like Robbie could could dial other things, or somebody steals his dial and, and writes villain with it, you know, because they're, they're, all the letters are possible, I guess. But with... Rick, uh, Chris and Vicky's dials. It was just H E R O. So you could, like, somebody at one point dials horror because all the letters are there. So you can have fun with that. But um, the the I, the reason this worked better, or at least was more uh, captivating for kids reading at the time, um, and and I say at the time was like 1980. Uh, It started in Adventure Comics 479 in 1981, uh, I should say, or really it started with an insert in Legion of Superheroes number 272. So um, Chris and Vicky, you know, are, are sort of become different heroes. But this time the heroes aren't created by the creative team. They're created by readers. Readers like you um, or readers like sometimes Stefan DeStefano, uh, who who actually gave us a few here, you know, even though he was kind of working with DC or would be soon on Amazing Man and Hero Hotline. In in fact, there is one identity, Zeep the Living Sponge, that Chris becomes at one point that is part of the night shift in Hero Hotline. So Stefan DeStefano just like brought him back um, as a true hero. And there's also a story where Robbie Rita turned into Plastic man back when Plastic Man was supposed to be under Earth X. so sometimes it's gonna you know they they can play with the formula, of course, but the like because readers were sending in ideas and then an artist would uh, kind of you know work on it, make it a little better maybe because you had people who were like age six or whatever and then you had people who were age forty sending in concepts uh, and, and eventually they were sending in you know, just fashions and furniture. And they were also sending in the villains. So a lot of the villains were, well, not not all, but, you know, I think all, all the villains were also uh, created by readers. And you get your little credit. And it's one of the fun things that when I started talking about this on my blog, uh, I still get, I think I got one like last week or the week before, somebody Googles their own name and then they find the hero that they created because I give the credit as well in the article. And um, and then they respond like, oh, yeah, I remember when I sent this in or this was my thought process or I don't remember my thought process because I was six. But, um, but they, they have like these little stories sometimes of how, oh, I sent in a hero and they made him a villain or uh, they changed the costume a little bit or, you know, because they, they still remember – the feeling of seeing it but maybe it wasn't the same as what they created so there is some ad- adaptation that needs to be done the the kind of the, the weakness of the strip was that uh, the writer was Marv Wolfman originally on this and he would just cram as many characters as possible in each story in each issue so sometimes your character would just show up for a single panel and also the strip was drawn by a very stylized latter day Carmine Infantino, which is not my thing. So for me, when I discovered Dial H, it was not in Adventure Comics. It was in um, New Adventures of Superboy. And uh, Adventure Comics collapsed and uh, it was replaced by New Adventures of Superboy. And eventually they. Put a dial H backup in there, and it had like E. Nelson Bridwell was writing it at that point. The art was, when I found it, was by Howard Bender, but there were certain others at uh, the beginning. So it was a lot cleaner and more fun. And that's where I fell in love with the concept. I probably sent in a hero because I've got the coupon is cut out of my, of my, of, my, of one of my comics. You could, you'd get a t shirt if they use your ideas or whatever. Uh, but they never used my idea, and I don't know what the idea would have been. <laughs> you know, back then, but uh, that story actually made it a serial, and then and it's like culminated with a link back to Robbie, um, not explaining what the dials are, but like latter day series. But you know, kind of uh, in between Superboy twenty eight to forty nine, they managed to to make it build to a crescendo, and a lot of my favorite uh, characters that the the, the dialers become are from that series. So that that for me is like the era and I think for most comics readers our age that is probably the era of dial age because it's it's bronze age we were right the right age for that kind of stuff whereas the 60s you know you you'd need to be older to to have read House of Mystery back then probably. So uh, there's that era which I, I <laughs> spoken of maybe too long but <laughs> but then there's like the interim years not really an era but marv wolfman turns vicky into a deranged villain uh you know in the late 80s as we go into the 90s of course you know chris eventually becomes a hero keeps changing form he does i don't think he even needs a dial he becomes titans west or something uh superboy and the ravers reintroduces uh, robbie's dial but he's used by a one of the ravers called hero uh and then you got laurie morning in the Legion books. Uh, the Reboot Legion, where she finds the dial, or a dial, and she uses it to become a superhero in the future as well. So there's no clear idea of what they want to do with the concept, because I think Dial Age for Hero kind of has to be its own thing. Whenever you put one of those heroes in a team setting, eh, whatever. You know, it, it doesn't quite. So the other iterations that you're mentioning, there's the H-E-R-O series uh, from 2003, kind of a Vertigo light, I'd say. So it's like uh, the dial follows the dead man's gun formula, switching hands every few issues, and you see how normal people kind of react to having these superhero identities, what would they would do with it. It was written by uh, Will Pfeiffer and uh, drawn by Kano. Um, So you've got an older, bitter Robbie Reed. That becomes a trope. Robbie Reed is like older... And he's either lost the dial or he's still connected to the dial, and he's in the background of these stories. And that happens a lot from then on. So uh, here he's looking for the dial, but mostly each story arc is separate. Uh, or a little bit like Sandman, it's going to be like just like these short stories, and that's how they're going to sell it in the trade paperback market. Yeah. Uh, which is how, how I read them. But there's like 22 issues.
0: There's only one trade, and, I believe.
1: Uh, maybe 22 issues, that's a big trade. I think there's more, maybe not, I don't know. No, they only um, did the
0: first arc, and then they
1: they solicited
0: a second trade and never released it, so... uh,
1: Right, I had to find the other ones.
0: Yeah, that's where I jump in on the series, because that was the first um, one I focused on, so I collected that entire run, and I've always had to hang on to the issues instead of
1: replacing them with trades, which is why I'm very aware. Um, So your Dial H experience is like almost a mature reader's take on it well
0: i knew of that i knew of it before but i'd never experienced it directly so you know i've seen the who's who and things like that so Mm -hmm, i knew it i knew it had some sort of goofy pedigree uh but mostly it's through you know hearing people talk about it on podcasts uh, such as yourself and things um but reading that one i mean i like will pfeiffer but um i remember reading reading it and saying this is really good and you know there's a little bit of um the boys in it <laughs> if you believe yeah. yeah just because um one of the they have a concept that you can dial up an ultimate basically or you you hit the jackpot and get someone with you know omega level level powers and um someone who gets that never wants to give it up so you know it's a little bit like uh the homelander's level and you know psychosis as well but um i remember lending that to a friend and he read it and he, he gave it back after the trade rather than continue on with the whole thing. And he just said, no, nah, you know, if you got superpowers, it would be super awesome. And these people are all depressed. And that really stayed with me because it, it is kind of true about the whole series is, you know, it's not the joy of being a superhero. It's, you know, the problems that come with it, which is yeah, you know, the, the antithesis of what the original series
1: was. Right, exactly. Uh, and I think also, I think one of the weaknesses that the way Pfeiffer got around the concept's limitations of, you know, you don't want to make a hero that's that's anything, that's something, you know, that that's a good property, is that they made the heroes really generic. Mm. You know, it, it, sometimes they'd even have names, so the identities. So it's like, oh, this is like your basic patriotic heroes. This is your basic Superman type. This is your basic speedster. You, you know, you can tell just by the costume, but... It's not, you know, it's not, it's not interesting or necessarily, you know, it, because the, the focus is not on the uh, hero identity or the variety. It's about how normal people might react to having these identities foisted on them uh, and suddenly having powers and then abusing them, you know, in the workplace, in school. And, you know, or be, you want to become a vigilante, but you don't know what you're doing. Or there's th- these different stories. I think like the, the better one is like uh, when the dial goes back in time and, um, and there's like a caveman superhero. You know, it's, it's like yeah. you can do things, but it's it's not about the identities anymore, which it was in the first two iterations of the concept. And the next one after that was that? And then, and then 2012. The New 52 <laughs> <laughs> version. Uh,
0: one uh, of the better books. I'm sure was going to happen without the New 52.
1: Yes. It, it's got nothing to do with the New 52. Uh, China Mieville is is writing it. Um, art by Matheus Santoluco, uh, and Mieville is a is, is a writer that I I already like. I, I he's a novelist that I, I've got most of his books, if not all of them, uh, and have read most. So uh, this was my chance to see what he would do with a comic book series, and it's just as weird and urban fantasy and quirky as as his novels, essentially. So uh, in this one. Uh, you've got a new dial holder called Nelson Gent. And uh, the new dial is a phone booth, a mysterious phone booth. So, you know, uh, it turns into, in this case, very surreal superheroes. So this is the way, like I said, there's always a way to subvert the the problem of let's not create any superheroes that are good properties because nobody's going to want to be or do anything with these like weird top hat chimney characters, you know, it's like, it, it was always something very strange or a combination of odd concepts, like a mercenary with a snail's shell full of weapons, you know, <laughs> it's never going to fly or anything, <laughs> but, but it worked within the concept of this really surreal uh, series, you know, which was very much in Miaville's style. And one of the things that they did, you know, everything's very weird, but it introduces other dials. There's an S dial that calls up sidekicks. Uh, there's a uh, there are there are gadget dials that just give you gadgets. Obviously, there's a dial that allows you to jump to other Earths, and uh, and the whole thing is more metaphorical. It's a play on identity and losing yourself. There's a character who uh, uses a dial and but wears a mask so that it she she never presents differently. It's like she's hiding the identity she's become because she's trying to take control of who she is rather than what the dial is, is making her, because she's kind of losing herself in these identities. These identities have their own personalities, which is not something they explored much in the original strips. So, uh, you know, it, there's actually a little bit more meat to that. And it's a surprising series to come out of, of the New 52. You know, like you said, it was already on the books. There's no way this was not in the pipeline already, because it has very little to do with uh, the, the New 52 as a concept. So I like this one, but it was probably not for everyone. I would say. Did you did you ever check it out?
0: Yeah, no, I have uh, I have this one completely. But uh, one thing I remember from this one was the concept that uh, when someone activates the Herodile, they the powers come from an existing um, character somewhere in the multiverse. Uh, I think there was an issue where they stole Barry
1: Allen's powers. And then, and then that hero suddenly finds themselves powerless in their world, you know. Yeah. And it, there's not, yeah, and it, the multiverse is very strange in this as well. you know, And they're, they're traveling in between the worlds at some point. It's a little bit like uh, Justice League Incarnate right now or something. So, it, but not as, but it's not like this is Earth-6 or whatever, you know. It, yeah. It's very much like this is an Earth where everybody lives on a balloon, you know. <laughs> um, it, it's more like that. But yeah, so so this time they're shades trying to explain shades of everything,
0: everywhere, all at once. Uh
1: huh. Yes, very much the bagel. So <laughs> you access the bagel. The bagel is a dial. You know, it's there. There's a relationship there. But uh, <laughs> the yeah, the idea is that you were where these do these powers come from? You're actually stealing them, and then it becomes a dilemma as uh, do I use the dial because then I'm shafting this other dimension where somebody. Might fall out of the sky and die, you know. So they're they're playing around with that. So it was very much darker uh, as a series than even H.E.R.O. You know. So uh, did you read the, the 2019 series that came out from uh, Wonder Comics? Because I loved that one.
0: I did actually, yeah. It felt very artistically driven, unlike the others.
1: Yeah, it had like a if 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 we could describe it to people who haven't seen it. It's a little bit like the Ms. Marvel, like the style they give the Ms. Marvel uh, TV show that just started. Um, there, there's a bit of that. It's a lot more uh, changing the different, the you know, like the artist. Uh, the writer was Sam Humphreys, the, the artist Joe Kanonis. He was really uh, able to. Like okay, let's make this part of the story look more Silver Age. Let's, let's make this part of the story look like a Vertigo book. Let's make this let's make this character here look like he was drawn by Frank Miller, you know. So uh, or there's an olive oil kind of, uh, you know, Popeye kind of art sometimes. So whatever the heroes became, there was a style that came with it. It's more '90s. It's more '60s. It's more so they, they could uh, really play with the art. And it, you're right, it, it looks like a, you know art an art book. It's just like nice to look at. And um yeah. and in this one they they introduce two new dial holders Miguel Montes and Summer Pickens, and they later go on to star in Young Justice and then Titans Academy or at least Miguel does um but in the most boring capacity you know <laughs> they're they're not yeah. really uh, important well what single hero can be particularly important in a uh in, in a book like Young Justice who was written by uh, Bendis you know, so it's just people talking, and then eventually there's yeah. a bit of action, so you can't do much <laughs> with that um and Robbie Reed was again in the picture um this time he was like an ethereal mentor that you could get on the phone and uh, uh Humphreys has this brilliant idea to superimpose the dial with Grant Morrison's map of the multiverse and uh and then so you're really you're dialing from different parts of the multiverse in that way and it explains where the heroes come from there's like this this place in the bleed where just like the heroes are just flying around as ghosts or something. Uh, So you're, you're picking up from those vibes in the hero verse. Um, So, (laughs) and again, to create the, to to get around the problem of not creating viable heroes, Humphreys and Canonis are essentially, they create parodies uh, or weird amalgams of heroes we know. So for example, that Frank Miller Sin City identity, you know, there's like the, obviously you're not going to make that a viable, identity or, or character later because, well, no, it's too derivative. It's obviously a parody of something else that somebody else is doing, you know? So yeah, it's a way to have fun and do different styles, but also it's like, it doesn't matter if those characters are, are cool because we can't use them anyway, you know, um, more than, than what we're doing. And then eventually the kids kind of fall into a, a single identity. So it's about them finding out who they are through the dials. Uh, and then Miguel becomes Super Miguel and he mostly uses that identity from then on kind of thing. So um, th- there's a there's a concept here of teenagers looking for who they are and exploring. And the dial is the means to that exploration. So again, you know, I think what, what people go back or I, when I say people, creators go back to the dial H thing. I think it's because they see a potential for a... Uh, overarching metaphor where before it was just like, you know, a delivery service for a bunch of silly heroes or, or heroes that people created from home and and that engaged the readership today. Uh, they probably don't want to do that kind of stuff, not because it's, it's simplistic in a way, but, um, there's also like people, you know, kids at home, even kids at home or anyone that would write in or send a, a, a picture of a hero, they would feel like they still own that character. And, you know, they're just like people are, are thinking too much about copyrights, um, which they should. But, you know, nobody's going to send in their best idea to DC just to see it on the page for for you know a quarter of a page or something um, because everybody thinks their intellectual property can be used and can can make money in an American dream blah blah <laughs> so <laughs> I don't think I don't think that's viable anymore but what people are responding to the creators I mean is okay well what does it mean to change your identity and I think their identity issues are all over the place uh, in our world so, the dial is the dial. Can the dial be, you know, a metaphor for being trans, for uh, discovering who you are as a teenager, for whatever it is, just finding your place in the world? So that's what they they've done with the last three iterations, really. Yeah. Uh, in some some fashion.
0: Yeah, and it's a concept that I mean, like you can tell when DC is working on and you know a new comeback for Justice Society or Legion but every time uh dial h comes back it comes out of nowhere like there's no groundwork for it ever it's more you know here's a creative piece that stands alone uh you know as you said prompted by someone wanting to explore the concept in some way so i mean that's kind of the fun of it is you know you don't know when it's next gonna you know pop up like I, i can't see it on the horizon at the moment but you know we never did the last three times
1: No, exactly. There was actually there was a point in the late '80s, I think, where they were developing a cartoon series based on this, and it just never materialized. But um, imagine if there had been a TV show of this, uh, and um, and I don't know what the how probably a Chris and Vicky, you know, boy girl, you get as much variety as you can from uh, from both male and female heroes, etc. And uh and they're teenagers so it, it or or they could have been probably younger in the show, uh to make it like a viable Saturday morning cartoon or something. But that would have put it on the map in terms of pop culture in a way that it just you know like, this is an unknown property to uh you know Joe Blow, the you know, the normal people on the street have never heard of Dial H for Hero. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think Marvel has anything like this or do they? I mean one of the things that I liked when around the same era uh, when I was reading a lot more Marvel Comics, is like I always tapped into the characters who were who could be transformed. So like a character like Rogue in the X-Men, for example, like you're always watching for that moment where she's gonna touch somebody and then have their powers, but maybe that you know maybe that changes her. like you know, you're looking for that moment where Rogue is going to touch Colossus and then you're gonna see Rogue in in metal. You know, or you're gonna see Rogue, but she's maybe she's got who knows, you know, Nightcrawler's tail or something. You know, you're looking for those those moments where the character that you know has suddenly has a new look, and there was just something that was I don't know part of my interest at first. I was always seeking that out, um, and I, I'm, I'm mentioning Rogue here because that's the one that comes to mind. There are probably others, but I don't think that Marvel really has anything comparable. Uh, in terms of of how flexible this concept is, yeah. I, well, I can't think of it.
0: There's a little bit of, um, I mean, it's not quite the same. Well, definitely not the same. But the, the Ghost Rider um, imagery is now, you know, oh yeah, you see a Ghost yeah. Rider mammoth, a Ghost Rider car, you know, the the bike, obviously, you know, we've had the horse. So there's that element of it. It can be whatever is appropriate at the time. Um, right. But, you know, it's you know, it's the. You know, just touching the surface of that concept rather than you know fully exploring it.
1: Yeah, but I would say that would fall into that category. It's like okay, you know, it's like it's like it's the hero that you know, but you can adapt somehow, adapt to different circumstances or, um, yeah, yeah, no, definitely, I, I would put Ghost Rider in, especially Ghost Rider as it is now, because obviously back then it was just a guy on a bike, no matter what. <laughs> but but you know, it's it's like it's one of the fun of just like. I'm not going to say it's a good movie, but the second Ghost Rider movie, <laughs> uh, Spirit of Vengeance, you know, at some point he turns like a crane, or they're just like this Mack truck type. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, like, it's a ability. coal
0: digger or something.
1: Yeah, it's it's a big, big machine, and, that, that you know, it flames up because it's a vehicle, so technically, you know. So I love that idea that it's like any vehicle he drives would. And then you're just trying to imagine Ghost Rider on on vehicles that he's never on, you know, it's like, okay, let's see ghost Rider on a boat. Let's see ghost Rider on, on a jet ski on a, in a parachute. <laughs> and, you know, whatever, you know, I want to see, I want to, anything that kind of falls into the vehicle or riding animal, uh, category. I, I kind of want to see that image, you know? Um, and, um, and often they often, you know, the more fun writers go for it. Yeah. And that, that's, that's how I know Like something is like pure comic books is like, when they just go for it. And, and it's fun to see that even in like alternate media, um, you know, we are seeing more and more of that where pushing the boundaries of, it's like, 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 you know, you know, it used to be TV shows and movies used to be, well, no, the public's not going to accept it unless it's grounded in some kind of reality. Uh, (laughs) and, and then, so it, it either it's kind of dark and gloomy as a result. It, it's doesn't feel like the comic book version at all, or, they can't. They, they're they're grounding it, but it's still. It just makes it more silly because you've you've got a, a solid ground, and then well, the superhero stuff makes it silly. Sorry. Yeah. So, um. So now they're pushing much more.
0: Yeah, it really was suited for a cartoon, but in a time and a place which isn't now
1: really. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I'm um, Ben yeah. Ten. Ben Ten would seem to be a mining of the whole concept.
1: Oh yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there there's um. There's a lot you can. Obviously, there's a lot you can do because we've seen so many versions already at this point. Um, the, maybe the problem now becomes whether you you want to explore it in other media or just what what's the next comic series. Is that you've you've done so many and then it just feels like well what's my take and there's there's no basic take that you can just pick up and continue in the same way that you could say there's a basic take for Batman or. Um or, or most properties really. There's like, there's your basic take. With with this, it's it's a little bit like, well, do we continue the adventures of Miguel? Do we go back to the adventures of Nelson? To the adventures of Chris and Vicky? Um or or because there've been so many, okay, now the tradition, it's a little bit like the Legion. The tradition is to reboot them. <laughs> yeah. Because we've done it so many times, now, well, the next one has to be a reboot as well. It can't just be a continuing, you know, we've we've killed the core concept and it just has to become a reboot. It's the same thing with Dial H. It's got to be its own feeling and, and, and completely different. Um, and, and, you know, truth be told, all of these series, all the modern ones anyway, because obviously the older ones are fun, but also dated you know, they they are very much from a, a different era of comics, both of them. But the three last series that we got are each, you know, a worthy, good reads, interesting, um, change up the mythology a little bit. But you could you could still squint your eyes and say it's all part of the same mm. kind of world. Uh, and anyway, DC's had like crises all the time, so you know you can change a little details. But the, the the idea behind the these dial H stories were all quite I'm not gonna say successful because you know they become niche series and it, obviously it's never going to be a huge hit and they all lasted um I think the last one was supposed to be a 12 issue so it, it lasted the 12 issues but the other ones are like in the around 20 or less you know 22 issues something like that so it's never gonna be this this big mega franchise but each of them creatively have been successful. Yeah. So you can't you can't easily say that for a, you know about a bunch of different versions of the same franchise that have come out you know seven years apart or how twelve years apart or what, however it may be. Um, I think it's mostly been yeah seven to nine years in between each of these series. Yeah, but not a lot yeah, of series can but say
0: that. H is it's one of those concepts that when it's in the DC universe it. It's like a, a different herb or a different spice. I mean, in this sea of Batman stuff, you know, you've got this book that's different and it's weird and it's interesting and it's not meant to last forever, but it, you know, it adds a lot of flavor to the to the whole tapestry in a way that you know they come and they go and you know I think this is going to be more and more the problem that DC has to face is how do they have something different going? I mean, it it can be very much a you know let's exploit the Batman yeah, let's explore, yeah. exploit the IP that makes us the most money, and like, um, we're just watching Black Adam ramp up at the moment, you know, in the comics.
1: Right. We're gonna get a bunch of Black Adam books, um, in the same way that we got, you know, um, uh, Peacemaker book and a lot of Suicide Squad squad books and a lot of Wonder Woman books. You know, they're always tied to what's hot or what they're they're pushing at the movie house or on TV. Uh, and, uh, and then otherwise, it's all Batman all the time. Yeah. You know, there are some months I look at the listings and it's like, there's like, DC's coming out with 15 books. And then two of them are not Batman related in any way. Yeah. Uh, oof, uh, you know, because it's either Batman and Batman will have several miniseries, several series. So it's Batman or Batman's extended family. Uh, and I, I love the Nightwing book, but you know that's part of it, or Harley Quinn, or the Joker, or uh, the, the Bad Girls, or um, Robin might have a couple series in there, and uh, now Poison Ivy has a book. So it's it's like <laughs> it's a lot of Batman. I can't believe any Batman fan isn't breaking the bank right now yeah. in this era, or even enjoying it anymore. You <laughs> know, so it, so series like this, like as an, uh, an aging comic book reader. Um, I found, I, I say aging, but I think I was already like this in my 20s, but, you know, it's like you're looking for those series that only you will love, kind of kind of thing, the thing that you can talk to other people about and say, oh, you should really read this. You're never going to say that about Batman. You don't need to, but, you know, <laughs> a series like this that people are sort of not not necessarily um, know, knowing about or engaging with, and you're just like, you can push these little projects, and you know that First of all, they're not gonna take part in crossover events all that much. They're never gonna be always interrupted with crossover business. And I know that's you know I know that's your part of your uh, <laughs> part of your, uh, your 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 IP at um, you know on your shows, but it's it's still it's not. You know, sometimes it's very interruptive. It's it's very disturbing that you're trying to follow a story and it keeps getting interrupted because the character is just too high profile. You're never going to get that with a project like Dial H. It did participate, you know, and New New 52 had that. It ended with a Dial V for villain during villain month or whatever it was. Um, But it didn't feel like it was being interrupted because it was already over, first of all. But also, (laughs) Mieville was just doing his own thing no matter what. You know, so it's not suddenly the storyline I'm trying to follow it, it takes a break. You're not going to get that as much. And you're not going to get a series that you don't know where to start and you don't know where to finish. You know, sometimes people will say, oh, a Thor movie came out. Um, where I want to read Thor. Where do I begin? I was like, well, I mean, there are many places you could begin, but you can't read the whole thing. And, 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 and well, you could, but... I, You probably don't want to, and I can't, you know, (laughs) I can't promise you're gonna like the whole thing. You might like this run or this run.
0: Jason Aaron has written five first issues for Thor, or
1: something like that. (laughs) Those are those are your jumping points. But you know, you know, someone older might say you got to read the Walt Simonson era or whatever. So, but with Dial H or with you know something smaller, whatever I don't know Chase or Our Man or you know. There it is. Th- these are your 20 issues you got to read. You get you get them all. They're always by the same creative team, always by the same writer. You know you're getting A to Z. That's it. So I think these are easier to collect and then easier to 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 foist on people or to you know to suggest or recommend than I want to read some Batman. Oh, mm. God, you know where where do I begin telling you where to begin? So. There, there's there's always going to be a a place for these smaller series, and um, hopefully they don't get crowded out by you know how many of these series just never start because they've been crowded out of a schedule by by Batman. Yeah, you know? well
0: DC hasn't got room for Green Arrow and books
1: like that at the moment. See, and that's not that's not a, a C property. That's you know that's like your you're at least your B team there. And there's no there's no big idea for that that character, even though he's had a lot of room on alternate media, you know, guy had a show for eight years or whatever it was. So people know who Green Arrow is. Yeah. And that should be enough to always have a Green Arrow book on the stands, you know, but we've had we've had years without Fantastic Four books. And I know that was like a political thing, but also, huh? You know, it shouldn't happen. (laughs) So, um, but then you're saying, well, there's no, if there's no room for a a Fantastic Four or for a, uh, in the case that we're talking about, you know, um, what was your example, Green Arrow? Well, is there room for a Dial H? Is there room for a Squirrel Girl? Is there room for a Howard the Duck? You know, and there, there, very often I'm giving examples that there was room for those, but how many other fun Offbeat series cannot be sustained, you know, because because the market doesn't, because I'm the only one reading them, because it doesn't matter what's good and what's not good, uh, because they're just pushing product, and, you know, popular IPs have a better chance no matter what, is, I guess, the thing. So, yeah. dis- discovering the Dial H, um, and, and because they're shorter, they have a better chance of being collected already, and existing as a single or couple books. So for people that, that want to revisit or have, you know, it's like you missed them on the stands, they should be available. Also, obviously, today we live in an era of you can all read it on digital. So um, no issue is, is truly, it, well, not for all time anyways, lost to us. You know, it's uh, not stuff that's come out this recently. Yeah. Who's Editing, a thought experiment in which Siskoid and his guests appoint themselves editors of a comic book line at DC Comics. But the joke's on them, because they can only use the characters of a specific issue of Who's Who, and in fact must use them. Great ideas? Yes, we think so. Cool reinventions? Of course. Crisis fatigue? We guarantee it. Who's Editing, now on its own feed, only at the Fire & Water Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. All
0: right. Yeah. So, uh, do you want to rank them all?
1: <laughs> Ranking? Well, it's interesting. Well, as far as just hero identities, because that's one thing that I used to think about a lot. <laughs> you know, hero, the hero identities <laughs> that be, not not in the newer series. The newer series have all taken like these these steps to make the the story more important than the characters that the, that the dialers become. So I don't have, you know, I don't have any stake in any of the heroes dialed in H E R O in dial H, uh, the, the new 52 or in dial H for hero as written by Sam Humphreys. I don't really have a stake in any of them, but, uh, but going back to the Chris and Vicky years, yes. You know, I would say the, the very best for me were, there was this duo, um, they became Troubleclef, Clef... Uh, Trouble... I say treble because that's that's what the pun wants me to, to say. But it's Trouble Clef and Venus the Flying Trap. And those characters actually lasted more than one chapter. Because they had to fight like 12 villains or something. But they were... The, I mean, their powers were pretty cool. Their look was were cool. And just like... I, I felt like, like these two could have had their own series just by themselves. So... Uh, those are basically my favorites, along with Zeep the Living Sponge, uh, which is a, a perfectly ridiculous character that, um, that that Chris became in the in Adventure Comics, <laughs> but that I then co-opted. I was running a um, a play by email superhero uh, game at some point. There were four teams. And each team was like going back and forth with emails, trying to tell a story. So there was, a, and you could create your own characters or steal characters that previously existed from any continuity, any comic book company, uh, and change it to your whim or whatever it was. So there was a, there was like a fake, just there was a Justice League book, there was a Teen Titans book, there was a, a horror-ish book, you know, John Constantine and, and people like that. I guess a Justice League Dark we would say today, but back then that wasn't a thing. And the other one was a hero hotline. So you had, you know, like epic superheroes. You had teen angst. You had the horror, dark, vertigo book. And then you had one of the games was just humor. And for that, I I I co-opted Zeb the Living Sponge and made something out of him. <laughs> Gave him a voice. Uh, you know, so he's basically just like this this kind of plushy pink hero who. I think he can bounce. I think he's a little bit like uh, a, a bouncing boy, but he, d- he doesn't turn into a ball or anything. He's just like bouncy. So he's like made of rubber. I don't know. But uh, but so I have a certain affection for Zeep because of that, you know. Mm. Uh, so those would be like my favorite characters that that were ever dialed, let's say. But in terms of the series, I I I have to say with modern eyes, with Adult eyes. This last one was the best. I thought it was the most fun. Right. It was the most inno- innovative in terms of art and story. I love the the whole thing with the putting the multiverse. Like, w- once you look at that, that multiverse this graphic from multiversity, yeah, it does look like kind of like a dial. You know, it's got too many holes, if each hole is a planet. But <laughs> it kind of looks dial-esque, you know? So that was a great leap of logic from Humphreys there, um, so that was my favorite, and I wish it had gone on. I, uh, you know, let's not fold these characters into Young Justice or Titans or whatever. I wish that series had been a monthly, forever. <laughs> so I will say this is the be- that's the best one for me. Wow. And then, uh, and then I, yeah, and I think when you go back, yeah, I just if you go back, they're always getting better. I think then, then I would put the Mieville, then I would put H E R O, then I would put Chris and Vicky, and then I would put the Silver Age one.
0: Wow. That's quite
1: unusual. I know. The, the sequels are better than the original. Um, but then that's just, it, it's about, you know, at some point it's really about personal taste. And um, and though I might have more a lot more affection for Chris and Vicky, like I if you're just going nostalgia, Chris and Vicky are probably uh, third yeah. rather than fourth. All right. But the absolute bottom feeder is the interim years. Like I liked Hero and Ravers and I liked Lori Morning. But that never culminated into anything, and I absolutely hated turning Vicky into a villain and all this crap. Um, so that's that's the bottom feeder. That's that's at the bottom of the pile. But uh, otherwise, it's like, well, you know, I, I like Silver Age stories because I like to mock them, and I like to, uh, you know, they're, they're fun in their way. But it's not something I want to reread a whole lot, unlike these later series, which I think, you know, after a couple of years, like, oh, yeah, I could reread that. I, you know, I've forgotten the details.
0: Yeah, I mean, when I think of uh, you know the Dial H Meva one, it it is packed. Like I remember it just being packed with stuff. So it, it's not something that you know I've got the whole thing in my head because I read it once. So
1: no, yeah, yeah, exactly. So how would you rate the three that you read? Ooh. Would you rank them?
0: I probably. Uh, oh yeah, well, I don't like ranking things, as you know. <laughs> i'd probably go um i'd probably go the meevil one and then the humphreys um one and then fifa and that's all i've got really so but i, I yeah. like all of them like they're all distinctive and you know interesting so all right well thank you for exploring that concept i, I don't think uh, the lawyers have much to work on there as far as you know the the flanger verse is not as dense as that um what are you working on now with podcasts you've, you've just wrapped up uh, your zero
1: hour one yes I've wrapped up zero hours so my connection to dcocd is is done uh <laughs> in a way uh, and we're not gonna do another <laughs> we're not gonna do another uh, crossover event as a follow-up at least not now you know it's like it was invasion and then we did zero hour and it seems to be diminishing returns so <laughs> uh, we're gonna cut it out while we're while we're still you know it's still okay for us um and uh, i'm jumping into a a new phase of fw team up which is a show about you know team up books and we're really going to focus on the bronze age series marvel team up marvel two and one brave and the bold and um what's the other one dc comics presents and with a different guest host well, not, well there's a, a co-host in each of them which are all network all-stars so instead of Running around and trying to find guests every month for these like weird who's gonna do Superman and the Quick Bunny uh, turned <laughs> out to, you know you to kind of have to push Michael Bailey to do it but in that case but you know instead it's gonna be like we've got co-hosts for each that are gonna remain and we're gonna rotate through these these different series so that's replacing Zero Hour on the schedule and then uh, otherwise still doing give me that Star Trek. Uh, six months out of the year and uh, oh hot more or not of course with the girls is my it's not only my longest running show it's the longest running show on the network that started on the network uh, wow. by which I mean the fire and water network um, and yep. then there's uh, yeah it's, it's the most it's the most continuous you know sustained effort I guess and then uh, what else uh, do, do I do I, you know there are other shows. Straight out of Gallifrey. Uh, yes, with uh, over at the... See, it's weird because I don't consider that one of my shows. Uh, I don't edit it. And uh, and I always feel like I'm a guest, even though I've been on the show consistently for years. Uh, every episode. But that's really <laughs> uh, that's really AJ's show. Over at the Right On Network, we're talking about... Uh, we're, right, right now, we're talking about Big Finish audios that feature Time Lords other than the Doctor... Um, because we're, we've done every episode where there's a Time Lord other than the Doctor, so uh, we had to branch out and do something else. Uh, but I'm glad you're along for the for the ride as a, a another big finished listener. Um, we always appreciate your comments after those shows. Um, so we're still doing that every couple of weeks. So um, yes, you're right. I'm also doing that. But on the Fire and Water Network, you know, I've got a a role-playing game show called Let's Roll. I've got Who's Editing, which uh, is quite a lot of fun as well. So and I'm sure I'm forgetting shows. You know, I I am I'm running like six shows at, at once. There is one that comes out every Tuesday at fireandwaterpodcast.com. Let's say it like that. But I'm also glad to have been on Dial F because I mean it feels like the title of the show was inspired by dial age for hero and yet you had not yet talked about it so um i sort of pushed you into that corner yeah well
0: I'm i'm glad we had a chat about it thank you